0: Some of you may know a guy named Tim Hawkins. Uh, Tim Hawkins is a Christian comedian who uses a lot of music in his comedy. And Tim has a little bit he does about um, atheist megachurches um, that I I thought might be fun to share with you this morning. I was reading this thing in the news several months ago, and it was uh, a news story talking about the existence of atheist megachurches. I mean, what do you do there? Do you sing worship songs at an atheist church? What do you say? Like, shout to the void, all the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to nothing. What do you sing to? Them? Do you sing to them? Man, do they have children's church at the atheist mega church? What songs do you sing to kids at an atheist church? Like, no one loves the little children the children of the world no one hears you when you cry no one hears your lullaby no one loves the little children of the world reason why reason why we exist but there's no reason why reason why reason why we exist but there's no reason why a row 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 your boat gently down the reef wallowing 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 in your unbelief let's do the rounds remember the rounds I'll, no, you don't want to do that. Okay. Let's try a new one. Evolution, this I know. Poor Charles Darwin told me so. Accidentally alive. If you're weak, you won't survive. <laughs> That's the logic, right? That's what they're saying. I am an A. I am an A-T. I am an A-T-H-E-I-S-T. And I have N-O-T-H-I-N-G to give me hope and certainty. And when I D-I-E, I will be A-L-O-N-E. Hey! (laughs) Okay. So the the tragedy of this morning is that's all you're going to (laughs) remember. And you're going to be singing Reason Why, Reason Why, There's No Reason Why for weeks. So I apologize. Um, okay, uh, I thought this was an amusing idea. I don't know if they're actually atheist megachurches or if this is just his bit, but um, it, it struck a chord for me, and I thought, I wonder if we ever fall into this category. I don't think we're an atheist church. By atheist means not believing in God. That's, that's, we're not, not an issue. Um, sometimes I wonder, however, if we can be agnostic churches. Right. So uh, atheist means you don't believe in God. Agnostic just means you're not really sure. Right? It's a lack of knowledge. I'm not sure if God's there or not. Um, and I think if, if we all sat down and were pinned down in the moment, we'd say, oh yeah, no, we, we think God's there. But, but I think sometimes, because I see this in my own life, we can be kind of functional agnostics. Right? Uh, a functional agnostic is somebody who, yeah, I mean, I think God exists, but I don't always act like that's true. Uh, I, I often act as though I'm not really sure if He's there. Uh, So, uh, you might be a functional agnostic if um, you make major life decisions without ever praying or reading the Bible or talking to a Christian friend about it. You might be a functional agnostic if you can make it through your whole day or your whole week and never think about Jesus till next Sunday. You might be a functional agnostic if um, you don't have time to read the Bible because you figure it probably doesn't have anything to say to you. Uh, you might be a functional agnostic if, um, this is where I fall into the boat, um, you intentionally sometimes block off parts of your life and say, God doesn't care about that. Now, the, the functional agnostic idea is really a simple one. It, it comes from this concept that maybe God's just not relevant, right? Maybe there, there are parts of our life where they're just not related to God. Sure, I mean, I believe God's out there, but God doesn't care about this part or this thing. In this area of my life, God's not relevant. Uh, and, and this vision of an irrelevant God um, isn't just something that um, we struggle with because it's convenient, and, and it is convenient, right? I mean, there are times where it's great to be able to sort of put God away and, and behave the way we'd behave if God wasn't around and then take Him back out later. Um, but, but sometimes we, we fall into this um, vision of an irrelevant God because we start thinking that we're not relevant to Him, right? I, I think this is how David's psalm begins this morning. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? David doesn't doubt the existence of God, but he's wondering whether he matters to God right now. Maybe you've had a season like that in your life, or maybe you're in a season like that right now, where you wonder, hey, um, am I irrelevant to God? So this question uh, about a vision of an irrelevant God, I think is incredibly important for us. Uh, and so I want to contrast that idea, the sort of functional agnosticism that we can fall into, um, with a, a different perspective that Jesus brings us in this passage. Because Jesus says, um, both with his life and then with his words in this particular passage in Matthew, um, that, that God is not irrelevant and that you are not irrelevant to Him. That in fact, you are God's magnificent obsession. Uh, and, and rightly, He should be yours as well. So I want to think about two um, major ways that Jesus fleshes out this idea that God um, sees us as His magnificent obsession. Okay? And uh, the, the first one is really simple. Um, Jesus suggests that God has this incredible, intimate knowledge of us. I I hope you notice, I I love this little passage. Uh, Just in verses 28, 29, and 30, uh, Jesus says, uh, 29, 30, and 31, Jesus says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid, you are of more value than many sparrows. So Jesus says, first off, um, God has this intimate knowledge of you. God knows you so incredibly well. Um, In the passage it says the the sparrow, the the Greek doesn't say sparrow, it just says really small bird, but uh, in the Middle East that was kind of the, the smallest bird they knew often. Uh, and it says a penny, uh, they didn't have pennies back then, so um, the word that is used here in Greek is one-sixteenth of a denarius. So it's, a denarius is a day's wage, it's about one-sixteenth of what you make working in a day. And so basically they say, um, Jesus is saying these really small birds are worth a really small amount of money, but even so, God cares about them. And right? even so, God cares about these birds. Uh, and then he says, a related metaphor, um, all the hairs on your head are counted. Uh, now, when, when Jesus does this, he's actually drawing on a couple of um, Old Testament ideas about uh, the hairs on our heads. So there are a number of places in uh, like Psalm 412 and Psalm 69 4, we get this idea of, of the hairs on our head um, being sort of a, a countless thing, like a numberless idea. Actually, in those passages, It's often about our mistakes, right, or our enemies. It's a negative thing. Uh, Our mistakes or our enemies are beyond counting. Um, But here Jesus inverts that, uh, and He says, um, those things that we thought as uncountable, um, God counts out of His love for us. Um, Now... This idea of God knowing the hairs in our head is a, is a beautiful one, and this is intimate knowledge. Um, and I think some of us who who really love God and want to love Him back have done our best to reduce His workload and that counting process. Um, and so, uh, some of you, I think, you have those full heads of hair. I mean, sure, if you want to take up God's time on that, that's your business. But, um, sorry, the bald jokes just write themselves for this passage. Uh, I love this idea that God knows us so well, right, that every hair in our head is counted. When our first child was born, um, we had a lot of free time because we only had one kid, and so we put a ton of work into putting together his baby book. Anybody made a baby book for their first child? Yeah, okay. So if you've done it, um, there's a lot that goes into that, and so, you know, you have to know, I don't remember all the details, but we had to know, how much he weighed, like every other day we had to weigh him to put it in the baby book, and how tall he was, and um, when his first hair started growing. And um, we, we actually uh, have, I think, a lock of his hair from his first haircut in our baby book. I think we might actually have, I'm not sure about this, i got to go back and check, but I think we actually have his first tooth still, like, taped in that book, which is cute and also gross and a little bit, I don't know, but... Um, and, and it was like every little detail that our, our son did was so magical and amazing that we just had to record it because we knew that 30 years later we were going to need to know, you know, what Jonathan had for lunch on his 27th day of life. Right? <laughs> it was milk, by the way. Um, God's like that with us. Right? Um, God has that level of um, beautiful obsession with who we are, Um, and every little detail of our lives brings Him that joy. I imagine that if God was the sort of person who had to write things down to remember them, there would be books and books and libraries and libraries full of just your life, of every moment that God has treasured and watching you grow up into the person that you are today. He's numbered every hair on your head. Uh, Now, There are moments in our lives that we experience this, right? There's moments in our lives where we experience that we are of great value to God. And there's some moments where that's harder to feel. Uh, And so in Psalm 22, we get a moment like that for David. We get a season in David's life where he is overwhelmingly feeling distant from God. And it's not without significance that Jesus quotes this passage himself when he's on the cross, right? That that there are times, even though we are God's magnificent obsession, there are times we don't experience that. There's times where we feel incredibly distant from him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in those moments, um, just as David does in his psalm, it's not our job to tell tell ourselves our experience is wrong. It's not our job to say, no, I'm wrong to feel distant or alone or sad or far from God. Our experience is valid. That's why David records it, right? That's why David says, I'm a worm and not a human. That's why David says, why are you so far from me? I call, but you do not answer. What David does that's so beautiful in his psalm is next to his experience of feeling God's distance, he holds up his trust um, in God's past closeness. He says, yeah, and this season in my life, I feel really far from God, but I know it hasn't always been that way. I know throughout the history of my people, God has been faithful and done these amazing things. Uh, and, and I recognize that my experience, while it is true for me, may not be the truth. i, I got to hold these two up together in intention. I've had a lot of conversations with people who were going through some kind of depression experience, and one of the side effects of, or uh, symptoms of depression is a sense of being alone, right? Being isolated, feeling like no one's with you or no one cares about you or no one loves you. And and when I've had the privilege of sitting with people and talking through that process with them... um, I have not always been good at this, but I've tried to say, hey, I honor um, your experience, right? your, Your feelings are not wrong. But next to that experience of feeling alone, can I hold up some additional truth? Because I'm in this room right now, and I love you. And I know people who love you. I know people who love you in beautiful, tangible ways every day. And even though you don't feel that love, it doesn't mean it's not there. Uh, And maybe in this season, it's for you um, not to deny your experience, but to hold up that truth next to it and just let them be together for a while. Um, and, And maybe that's our job in those seasons of our lives where we feel distant from God, not to say, oh, I'm not allowed to feel bad or feel far from God. David feels that way. Jesus feels that way. But to say, in addition, let me remember how faithful God has been to me and how faithful God's been to my people Let me remember that He knows every hair on my head and that I am His magnificent obsession. And just hold that truth together for a while. So Jesus says, yeah, I know we can fall into the irrelevant God vision, but first remember that God has this intimate knowledge of you. And then He says, um, I also want you to know that God takes extraordinary care of you. Takes extraordinary care of you. Uh, so, so come back to the, the birds and the hair again for a moment. Um, Jesus does something really interesting here. So He, he mentions uh, the two birds uh, sold for one penny. Uh, and then He says, um, Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father, and even the hairs on your head are all counted. Uh, when when Jesus does this, um, his audience, those who knew the Hebrew Bible really well, um, would have heard an interesting play on words because there's an idiom in Hebrew about hairs on your head, not just that they are numberless, um, but that uh, when when you are under someone's protection, uh, there's a phrase that shows up in First Samuel and Second Samuel and First Kings and kind of in Daniel and again in Luke and again in Acts, um, where someone will say, not a hair on your head will fall to the ground. Not a hair on your head will fall to the ground. And it's a way of saying God or I or someone will take such good care of you, right, that you won't even be injured so much as to lose one hair. Um, I'm sorry, I'm just trying really hard to not make any more bald jokes. Um, Jesus uses this um, but he, he connects it to the birds, which is kind of interesting, right? Not, a, not one of them will fall to the ground. Um, but then he does something different. So, see, here's the problem with that story uh, not a hair on your head will fall to the ground. Well, some of them do. Right? Uh, and, and the idea, not a, a bird in the air will fall to the ground. Well, some of them do. So Jesus adds just three words that change this from an idiom that gets used throughout the Bible, like colloquial wisdom. Uh, to this incredibly important idea for our faith. He says, "'Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father.'" Apart from your Father. R.T. France says, "'Nothing happens to the children of a loving God which falls outside His provincial care. It neither takes them by surprise nor frustrates His purpose.'" The saying does not, of course, promise immunity from death and suffering for God's people, only the knowledge that it does not happen apart from your Father. Those four little words we've interpreted in a lot of different ways. Um, We've imagined they meant um, apart from His will, apart from His permission, apart from His knowledge. That all might be right. Um, But that's not exactly what Jesus says. He says, Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. In other words, um, you're never without Him. There's never a point where God is not with you. There's never a point, even um, in those darkest moments of your life, where God is not um, somehow present. And even when you don't feel it, we claim it to be true. Um, By the way, Uh, This is not a passage that Jesus is speaking uh, to people whose lives are good. Okay, he's he's giving this passage to the disciples as they go out on mission, um, but he's talking about the idea of the persecution that will come, right? He's saying you're going to be persecuted for your faith. Uh, In fact, some of you are going to die for your faith. Uh, And so uh, in the midst of all of that, just know nothing happens apart from your Father. one of the challenges for us is that um, in our life, we don't get to see the whole story. Right? Uh, and and I, I, the story of Jesus is so powerful for me because His story is like ours, right? Jesus on the cross, um, even though as God, He knows the end of the story, as a human, He's going through it, right? And on the cross, He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because He's at sort of a cross moment literally and figuratively in his life where he feels that distance from God. Um, Maybe you're at a cross moment, maybe not yet at the resurrection where you can look back and see what God is doing. Maybe you're at a cross moment where you're saying, uh, this is where faith comes in. I have to trust that somehow in this season of my life, God is working um, for my good, even though I don't see how. On Friday, um, I had the honor of uh, officiating a funeral for uh, a 27-year-old young man um, who was the child of one of my neighbors. Uh, he died um, in a massive heart attack. He had an undiagnosed heart condition that, that he didn't uh, know about. Um, and it was um, one moment he was there and the next moment he was gone. And as we we tried to talk through that story with his family, it was immediately clear that there's no platitude that makes that better. There's nothing you can say to a parent um, at the death of their child that makes it any less overwhelmingly painful. So we talked about um, Psalm 23, and we talked about um, the story of... um, God setting a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And I said, you know, what strikes me about that part of the story is that God doesn't say, I'll strike down all your enemies and give you a great life and then set a table before you. He doesn't say, I'll heal all your brokenness and take away all your sorrow and then set a table before you. He says, I'll set a table before you in the presence of your enemies in the middle of all of the sorrow and brokenness and, and trials of your life, I invite you to come and share a meal with me. Because God is the God who knows what it's like to lose His only Son. God is the God who knows what it's like um, to experience that sense of distance from uh, the people He came to save from His own Father at the cross. Uh, And yet somehow we know that after the cross comes the resurrection, right? That the end of the story is better than the beginning, that somehow God takes all of that and works it backward in a way that makes it more glorious in the end than it could have been without the cross moments. We don't get that now, we only get that later. Uh, You you know, I I love the Lord of the Rings, and there's uh, that famous line I quote all the time. uh, After Frodo and Sam have been rescued, they've saved the world. uh, They wake up and they discover that Gandalf, who they thought was dead, is alive again. Uh, And uh, Frodo looks and he says, "Um, I thought you were dead. Well, I thought I was dead. Is everything sad going to come untrue? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Because of the care of a God who numbers the hairs on our head. Because of a God for whom we are a magnificent obsession. Yes, one day everything sad will come untrue. And, and our job is to trust in the cross moments that the resurrection is still coming. Schweitzer says uh, this passage derives its force from the fact that it does not try to sketch an illusory picture of a kindly God. Sparrows fall to earth, and disciples of Jesus are slain, and Jesus never says that it hardly matters. What these sayings assert is that God is indeed God, that He is above success and failure, help and isolation, weal and woe, holding us in the hands that Jesus says are the hands of the Father. See, I think all of our functional agnosticism uh, dies on this table, right? on this table where we remember the death of our Savior, at this table we celebrate in the presence of our enemies, at this table where we remember there is no one more relevant in our life than the one who has numbered the hairs on our heads, that we are never forgotten and we are never abandoned and nothing can take you away from your Father because nothing happens to you apart from your Father. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we are mindful of the incredible invitation to come and share a table in the midst of our enemies, in the midst of all of the struggles and trials in our life. Lord, you have set this table You invite us to come and feast and know that even now in this moment, you are with us, uh, that you are close to us, uh, that nothing happens to us where you are not there, and that you have somehow uh, been magnificently obsessed with us. And so we pray, Lord, that we might in the same way make you our one magnificent obsession.